From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. A lack of clarity may be the story nationally, with no winner yet in the presidential race. But there's plenty of clarity in Colorado, which will send its nine electoral votes to Joe Biden and send Democrat John Hickenlooper to Washington. Thank you to the people of Colorado for your confidence and trust. I can't wait to be your senator. Together, I know we can change Washington. Let's get to work. But he may very well do that work under a Republican majority. We'll have analysis up and down the ballot, how the House race is panned out, and key ballot measures, including paid family leave, which will become a reality here. Plus, voters across the political spectrum share how they navigated election night and how they feel about the country right now. The upcoming elections could be the most crucial in recent memory, and that means Colorado Public Radio has an even greater responsibility to help you separate facts from fiction. Your financial support ensures that unbiased, fact-based journalism is delivered to Colorado voters so we can all make informed decisions when filling out our ballots. Thank you for making the leap from listener to listener member at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Coloradans are seeing a stark contrast between how quickly their votes were counted and how fast they got results and how slow that process is in other states, with the presidential race still up in the air. We know Vice President Joe Biden picked up Colorado's nine electoral votes, and Democrats here flipped a Senate seat, one of the few they've been able to do. This hour, we'll talk about how things turned out on the House side as well, plus the the outcome of those many ballot measures. Paid family leave won, and we'll hear from someone who fought for it. Also, we'll talk to voters who say the 2020 election has been like no other. This year, compared to other years, I think voting, it's been a lot more stressful. I think that many Americans are more on edge, and I think there is a lot at stake in terms of what we're voting for. Many watched and waited last night for a presidential outcome and didn't get one. I have an uneasiness this election day because for the first time in 13 presidential elections spanning 48 years, I have voted for the Democratic candidate. All right, let's first put Colorado into context with two political scientists. Seth Maskett leads the Center on American Politics at the University of Denver. He has recently published Learning from Loss. It's a book about Democrats in the 2016 presidential race. Hello again, Seth. Good morning. And from the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, Sarah Hegedorn. Her research focuses on Congress, campaigns and elections, and minority politics. Sarah, welcome to Colorado Matters. Thank you, Ryan. It seems like there's uncertainty everywhere right now, except in Colorado, uh, where both the Democrats at the top of the ticket, Joe Biden and Senator-elect John Hickenlooper, won big, won early. What's different here, Seth Maskett? Uh, well, Colorado's actually developed a pretty good system for counting ballots. Um, we've had uh, all mail-in elections um, since uh, 2014. Um, we can process them and open the envelopes and confirm all the signatures well ahead of time so that uh, starting on election day, it's just a matter of counting votes and, and we've become quite efficient at it. 
Um, it was also helpful, I think, that the two, uh, you know, the, the two main races that everyone was watching, the Senate race and the presidential race in Colorado, yeah. weren't all that close. And it's all, it's, it's much easier to call, uh, you know, uh, something with a large margin than it is a nail biter. Yeah, let's talk about that large margin for both Joe Biden and John Hickenlooper. What explains it, Sarah? Is this now a solidly blue state? I ask some version of that question every election. Are we purple? Are we blue? What's your assessment? I think Colorado is moving blue, um, at least on candidates. And I don't mean that there are more Democrats in Colorado than Republicans. We know from registration that unaffiliateds outpace both Republicans and Democrats by about 10 points. Um, but what we saw yesterday is a those unaffiliateds are going for Biden, and they went for um, Senator-elect Hickenlooper. So I think we're seeing all these young people moving to Colorado. And while they don't really love partisan politics, they don't love Republicans, they don't love Democrats, but they are voting more Democrats. So I think for the next few years, at least, I think Colorado is solidly blue. Now, we'll talk about the Republican victory in the 3rd Congressional District in just a bit, because that's part of the picture here. But Seth Maskett, compare Biden's win in Colorado to Clinton's in 2016. So far, I, I think the results are still preliminary, but it looks like Biden won um, subst by substantially more than Hillary Clinton did, I think by something like twice her margin from four years ago. Yeah, let's see. I am looking this up here. 56-42 this time around, 48-43 last time. Okay. So we're talking about a 14-point spread, I guess, versus a 5 point spread. Do you think that builds on what you heard from Sarah there? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the, the state's population has been trending uh, more democratic. And it also happened to be that um, four years ago, Colorado was still being treated as somewhat of a swing state. Um, both campaigns were contesting it somewhat. And this year, the presidential campaigns just largely stayed away from it. Um, they just didn't figure it was it was that competitive. Uh, the only Republican really doing any uh, important organizational work statewide was Cory Gardner. And uh, it was just it was just not great for Republican turnout. Um, it sort of fell back on what people's partisan leanings were. And it turns out they're they're leaning pretty strongly Democratic right now. And as we heard from Sarah, unaffiliated broke for Biden and for Hickenlooper. Now, whether Hickenlooper will be in the minority or the majority when he joins the Senate in January is at play here. Right, Sarah? Absolutely. Um so I'm a creature of the Senate. I worked in the U.S. Senate for seven years, so I've been watching those pretty closely yeah. all, all night this morning. Um, we have races that we didn't think we were going to see Republican holds in. I'm thinking of North Carolina, Georgia. We even have some interesting things going on with the incumbent Democratic senator in Michigan. So I think we could possibly see a 51-49 Republican hold of the Senate. I am reminded of this comment that John Hickenlooper made in January of 2019 about the Senate. What I'm good at, what I really enjoy the most, what I find rewarding is building a team and setting high goals and actually operating things. As a senator, you don't become even the vice chair of a, of a reasonably important committee until your third term. You know, I, by the time I got to my third term, I'd be 80. 
Hickenlooper sort of famously said in many different ways, including that one, that he was ill-suited for the Senate. It's something that he had to kind of run against, running against himself in some regards uh, in this campaign. But if he joins the Senate, Sarah, uh, freshman and in the minority, like, what can he get done given the gridlock we've seen? What, what are the realities there? I am <laughs> going to probably upset some people and say he's not going to get hardly anything done. Um it's hard to do a great job at a job you don't really want to have. I mean, I think some of us have been in that position and it, I, it, it's going to be difficult. And as someone who has never served in Washington before, he's going to spend the first couple of days just finding out where the coffee shop is and where the restroom is. Whereas when um, Senator Gardner was elected, he'd already served in the House. He'd already served as a staffer in the Senate. He kind of hit the ground running and was a good policymaker. Um, Senator-elect Hickenlooper is going to have a hard time, both in the minority and as someone who doesn't know how the place works. I'll say that he did change his tune once he decided to run for Senate and uh, espoused a bit of a different view, Seth, as the campaign wore on. Yeah, and I actually might disagree slightly with Sarah there in the, in the sense that um, if we end up, and there's a, there's a lot of ifs built into this statement, yep. but if we end up with a Biden presidency and a narrow Republican majority in the Senate, um, if Biden is going to get any sort of an agenda passed, he's basically going to need to build some coalitions in the Senate. That's obviously really hard in this polarized environment, but that's something that Biden has, uh, cert- it's a, certainly a governing style he believes in. He's done a fair amount in the past when he was in the Senate. And it would require people like um, Hickenlooper, frankly, who is has a moderate reputation, mm. has shown an ability to work with people across party lines in his own state. Um, I'm not saying there's huge prospects for for success, but I think he would actually be kind of a key person in that in that sort of a Senate. We'll hear him in his own words from his victory speech last night, a little later in the program. I do want to say very clearly that national results are not fully in by any means. Uh, And that extends, of course, to the presidential race. So our true North Star throughout this broadcast will be to say that we do not know who is president, uh, despite claims uh, that uh, Mr. Trump has made. uh, And that right now we can solidly say Mr. Biden has 238 electoral votes, Mr. Trump 213. Let's turn to the U.S. House, Sarah. Every Colorado incumbent on the November ballot won. There was only one open seat, the 3rd Congressional District, which includes Pueblo and Grand Junction. Restaurateur and gun rights activist Lauren Boebert, the Republican, defeated Democrat Diane Mitch Bush. What stands out to you about that result? Honestly, not that much. This race didn't surprise me that much. Hmm. Um, CB3 has this strong independent streak. And as of late, um, at least since John Salazar was there, They've been electing Republicans. And this just tells me that what the framers intended for the House of Representatives was people who looked like their constituents, looked like their voters, shared sympathies with them. And both of these candidates actually did that for certain segments of the district for me. Um, Boebert represents a certain part of that district and 51% of those voters. But so did Mitz uh, Bush, also represented 45%. So... This was an interesting one, but not a huge surprise. 
Uh, Boebert, of course, had gotten the endorsement of President Trump and aligns with many of his policies. Uh, does that mean the third is going harder right, uh, given who occupied that seat before her, Scott Tipton? Is that for me? Yeah, Brian, I'm sorry. that's OK. We can't see each other. Go ahead, Sarah. Possibly. It could also just be a nature of candidates, right? I think candidates still matter in American politics. And I think some of those blue collar Democrats that could break either way didn't, uh, Mitz Bush didn't appeal to them. I mentioned Pueblo is in the third congressional district. I was very interested to see that Pueblo County, where Trump won four years ago, seems to have swung back with Biden winning there by about four and a half percentage points. Uh, that's a change from 2016. Is that a notable one to you, Seth? Yeah, well, one of the things we're seeing both in Colorado and across the country is both sides really churning out their uh, their voters. Um, Democrats, I think, were much better uh, this year than in 2016 in turning out loyal Repub- or excuse me, loyal uh, Democratic voters. Um, Pueblo was an area that um, had been seen as a real failing point for Democrats four years ago. So I know they were they were working a lot on their turnout there. So yeah, Democrats have have managed to turn out just kind of a loyal Democratic base, but. It looks like Republicans did as well. Um, we're seeing kind of record turnout on both sides right now. Anything else that you want to mention that you want to reflect on? I mean, the news is changing really by the minute here. Maybe you're refreshing screens even as you're talking to me, Sarah. Uh, anything stand out about Colorado's performance, about what we're seeing nationally? What I think is a really positive story in Colorado is this astronomical turnout. Anytime when more people get in the game, that is good for democracy. So that's something I was really happy to see yesterday is this astronomical turnout. And what we're seeing is um, younger voters, right? I'm really interested also to see the minority turnout in Colorado. We know in 2018 around the country, we saw really high Hispanic turnout. I'm optimistic that we're going to see really great minority turnout for the state of Colorado. All of that is good for Colorado and governance. And indeed, Colorado besting its 2016 voter turnout. Okay, political scientists Sarah Hegedorn and Seth Maskett, stick around. You'll be back in the second half of the show. Let's dip into last night's speeches for just a bit. First, the winner, former Governor John Hickenlooper. We've had enough of leaders in Washington thinking it was their job to only represent Blue America or Red America, Red Colorado or Blue Colorado. I've always believed it's my job to represent all Colorado. He also reinforced the key issues of his campaign, fighting COVID-19, racial injustice and climate change. There's a lot to do. And Lord knows the system in Washington is a broken mess. But I'm an optimist. I know this country is ready to begin a new chapter. So tonight, I pledge to you, I will work my heart out for this state that I love. And I will do everything I can to bring common sense and decency to our work. Republican Cory Gardner kept his concession speech short. He highlighted some of his achievements over the last six years, then acknowledged his supporters as well as his opponents. And please understand to all the people who supported our efforts tonight that his success is Colorado's success. And our nation and our state need him to succeed. We need to be united together. As Ronald Reagan once said, 
The trail was long, but the company was always the best. To the people of Colorado, thank you for this great honor to serve you. This nation's better days are ahead of us, and let none of us forget that. Coloradans indeed voted in record numbers, more than 3.1 million ballots cast. As I mentioned earlier, that surpassed 2016. Let's meet three of those voters now from across the political spectrum. First, Russ Cunningham. He lives in Parker. He's unaffiliated, but has only voted for Republican presidential candidates since he began voting in 1972. This time, though, he chose the Democrat, former Vice President Joe Biden. And uh, Russ, you did split your ticket, though, right? Also voting for Senator Gardner? That is correct, Ryan. How are you feeling this morning about your state, your country? Well, uh, I would say that uh, President Trump didn't disappoint last night when he kept fabricating his uh, stories and saying that he won the election. Um, So I'm looking at some conflict here in the next week or so, hopefully not uh, in the streets and maybe in the courts, but we've got to get it resolved and then move on. You sound a bit frustrated with the president. Uh, Yes. All right. Zane Showalter-Castorina of Denver is also with us. He voted for Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary, then Vice President Biden in the general. And Zane, what's your feeling as the country waits for presidential results? Um, Thank you for having me on. Just to echo um, from before, yeah, it is, I think, quite in character that the president has prematurely declared victory and frustrating that it is at a point where it could be close enough to even consider that. So on one hand, I am uh, grateful that I live in a free democracy. On the other hand, it is frustrating to see somebody who is, in my opinion, not fit for office be um, continue to have this power, this sway. Did you think that election night would turn out differently, Zane? Um, that's a good question. I was not at all sure what to expect from election night, so I guess the answer is no. I. I had hoped in my heart that it might turn out different, but expectation, no. Mandy Edgar of Lakewood is also with us. She's a Republican and voted for President Donald Trump and for Senator Cory Gardner. And uh, Mandy, thanks for being with us. What's your mood today? This morning, I'm feeling a bit anxious. I still have hope and I still have faith that um, although Cory Gardner lost, um, that President Trump can pull through. I think that regardless of just him as a person in this election, we have so much kind of at risk in terms of our American ideals and what our country was built and founded upon. And so I just, I'm, I still have faith. I mean, I'm praying. I just, I feel as if we have a chance. Now, this country was built in part on the counting of votes, um, and it's, it's not at all uncommon for votes to be counted well after Election Day. So what do you, as a supporter of the president, make of the false claims uh, of fraud, of disenfranchisement? Um, I would say with that, um, as a president, I mean, he's going to persevere. He's not going to give up. And regardless of, I mean... This election is very close, obviously, with numbers and with the 270 that we're looking for. Um, I think that no matter what, he will he will make sure that it's fair. And that's that's part of living in this country is that it's fair and that it's equal and that everyone has 
equal opportunity and equal rights to vote however they would like to vote. But when counting votes, um, I really hope that they that they are honest. There's at this point no indication of any sort of fraud. So is it that you don't necessarily believe the president's words here, but you trust his heart? Is that what I hear you saying? I, I trust his work and I trust his policies. I trust what he's done thus far, regardless of the ridicule and just I mean, there's a lot of, there's many people that no, no matter what he does, whether it's, you know, it could be the most positive thing, people still want to criticize and ridicule him for whatever it may be. And I think it kind of comes down to him not being a seasoned politician and him being a businessman instead of a politician. Is he, um, does he lack couth sometimes? Yes, he does. When he speaks, I mean, no question. But I think in terms of his policies and what he's done and his actions versus his words, I mean, that's why I stand behind him hmm. because I like his policies. And I think that deep down, he really does care about Americans and he cares about our country. Russ, I, I wonder if you might... Reflect on your vote for Vice President Biden, uh, the first time you've cast a vote for a Democrat in a presidential race. Uh, how does that feel the day after? Uh, you've, you've had some time to sit with it. Well, I'm still concerned um, about his potential policies being, um, you know, basically the Democrat that's going to raise taxes Um and I'm concerned a little bit about his age, but um, I'm also concerned about uh, President Trump's age. But uh, Vice President Biden gave us an opportunity to um, have different people and different views. And I believe that we really need that right now. I agree that uh, a lot of uh, President Trump's policies are really good. I like most of his trades. Um, the uh, USMCA, I thought, was a, a great deal to replace NAFTA. Um, I don't think that tariffs are all that effective. They're probably decent for short term, but not long term. And I, I know that uh, some of our uh, uh, dairy um, industry has really suffered because when we slapped tariffs on China, China slapped tariffs on our uh, uh, exports for um, the uh, uh, dairy industry. Zane, I wonder if you had some soul-searching about whether you would vote in this election at all. I mean, we know that some uh, progressives sat out 2016, just not seeing a candidate that they could get behind. Did you go through that uh, soul-searching? No, not at all. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, this particular election is only a binary choice. We, the people, could either vote for somebody as I and many others see ethically and, more importantly, morally repugnant, or we will not vote to keep that in place. So it ultimately boils down to whom do I want to be the influence in the world, this one particular individual, the current incumbent president, um, or somebody else who, unfortunately, as you had kind of alluded to, progressives aren't necessarily fond of, mm. but is not the current president and does not have his systemic failures. Mandy Edgar, I'd like to pick up with you. You live in Lakewood and you have a tutoring business. And I, I wonder if you might reflect on how the past four years 
um, have affected you as a small business owner? Um, I started it in 2015. And I mean, I really had to put my head down because just like starting any business, um, you have to do that. The sacrifice was high. It was 2015. I had just purchased a house. So I was paying a mortgage. I was bartending at night to pay for my mortgage and build my business. Hmm. But I feel like it just, that's what our country is. And that's what the American dream is. And I think by having someone such as Donald Trump in office, he really does support the American dream and this idea of capitalism and meritocracy. And, you know, you hear a lot of, um, you hear a lot of talk about white privilege. I don't think it really comes down to white privilege. I think it comes down to hardworking privilege. It doesn't with no regard to nationality, race, um, education. I think that if you work hard enough and, you have the grit to kind of do that, then anyone can be successful. And that's kind of what I've done. So the past four years have been, have been really great, not just because of um, who's been leading our country, but also because it was an individual choice for me to put my head down and actually do that. That's in opposition, of course, to many people of color who see systemic racism deeply in this country and uh, who feel uh, for many reasons that they are at a disadvantage, a structural generational disadvantage. Uh, Zane Castorina of Denver, again, uh, you voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary, Joe Biden in the general election. When when you hear uh, your, your fellow Coloradan, your fellow uh, American, um, reflect on the last four years for her, her successes under this administration. I wonder, wonder what goes through your mind. Uh, first and foremost, I am I'm grateful that she has succeeded. I understand what it means to work in the evenings to try to put yourself in, in a better position. So I, I also am in the educational sphere myself, so I hope your tutoring business goes well. And I know that that's absolutely something that's going to be in great demand. Um, in the digital age. So congratulations. I'm very proud for you. That is very cool. Um, On the other hand, I am, I guess, fundamentally concerned with what appears to be a disconnect, Ryan. As you had pointed out, there are uh, a plethora of disenfranchised individuals um, who feel very similar in that there is is systemic racism. And I think ultimately it boils down to our concern that the current incumbent president doesn't, it's not that he lacks couth, it's that he lacks truth. And that's, that's really what I'm concerned with and what I see as a, um, a, an issue that keeps rearing its head. Is that even as we had discussed, he's even lied about how he's won the election. And so I'm, uh, you know, I, am glad, I am glad and I am grateful, but um, yeah, that's, that's a bigger problem there. If uh, Vice President Biden winds up winning this election, uh, what issue do you hope he moves fastest on, Zane? Uh, uh, probably the the issue that matters most, which is climate change and the impending catastrophe and doom that will follow if we don't rigorously and seriously take that to heart and change policy. Russ, I want to ask you about climate change. You have an interesting background. You worked in oil and gas and uh, you do support less regulation, including environmental regulation. But at the same time, you are critical of how the current president, President Trump, has handled the issue of climate change. How, how did you balance the two as you voted for 
Vice President Biden. Well, I just hope that uh, Vice President Biden comes up with some sort of plan. It's got to be a plan that includes energy, the environment, and climate change. Um, we've been warming. The planet has been warming since about 18,000 years ago. That was the last glacial maximum, um, the Pleistocene age. And so we've been warming, but humans have really increased the rate of warming in just the last couple hundred years. Ice cores prove that by the uh, oxygen isotopes. And you'll see a lot of different evidence. So we've got to come up with a plan that not only satisfies our energy needs, but it takes care of the environment and it somehow has to slow climate change down. Was that a driving issue in your vote? Yes. It was. Uh, Zane, I think you're a mathematician. Do I have that right? Um, yes, I consider myself a mathematical analyst. A mathematical analyst. Seems a fitting job right about now, Zane. Uh, tell me about your election night. How did it feel to be sort of doing the numbers as the hours rolled by? <laughs> um, quite frankly, I was um, overwhelmed with my own personal sense of doom. So after doing a little bit of preliminary tallying and remembering what it was like on 2016, I just said, I can't, I can't handle this, and ended up going to bed and waking up and looking at it in the morning. Ultimately, I suspected um, what would occur is what did occur in that, right, there would be no decision, and then the president would lie. So I, I yeah. Mandy, just briefly, how did election night feel for you? Take us into, I don't know, if it was your living room or your, <laughs> wherever you were watching. I was watching in my living room okay. and I went to bed last night, I'd say about 10. I, I wake up relatively early and I went to bed feeling, I'd say, more hopeful and more optimistic just because of numbers than I can honestly say that I feel this morning, but I haven't given up hope in the sense of that because not all ballots are counted. And um, just like Zane mentioned, I mean, I knew that there wouldn't be a decided president this morning to know who it was going to be or not going to be. So it's just kind of a sit and wait and, you know, hope and pray for the best. Russ, you want to leave us with what your election night was like before you go? Yeah, you know, that's kind of interesting. I, I was going in between CNN, Fox, and um, CBS. And I would say between CNN and Fox, news, I was probably looking at different election results. It was just striking to me at the different viewpoints in the media. Well, I want to thank you all for being with us. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So you heard from Zane Showalter, Castorina of Denver, who voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary, Joe Biden in the general election, Russ Cunningham of Parker. He'd planned to vote for Trump, but changed his mind during the first debate and voted Biden. Cunningham split his ticket, though, for Republican Senator Cory Gardner. And Mandy Edgar lives in Lakewood. She voted for Donald Trump this year, as she did in 2016. A lot there from our voters, and I thought we might take just a few minutes to reflect on what we heard, maybe tie up a few loose ends with our political scientists, uh, Sarah Hagedorn of University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and Seth Maskett from the University of Denver. Sarah, what, what did you hear from the voters that stuck out? Stuck out. 
Russ's first comment that he was a split ticket voter and we don't see very many of those anymore. Colorado used to have a really strong heritage of doing that, but he voted for Biden and for Gardner. And what struck me is that so did 60,000 other people in the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. So Senator Gardner actually outpaced the president in Colorado. And that tells me that it was more of a reaction against Trump than maybe against Senator Gardner this time. Um, the other thing that really struck me was what is the most important issue or what do you hope a president-elect Biden would take up first if he's elected? And Zane said climate. And looking at a lot of exit polls yesterday, that is not what was on a lot of voters' minds in these swing states. It was COVID, it was the economy, um, healthcare in general, and to a certain degree, immigration. And that was not the top issue that he addressed. So I thought that was, that's an interesting Colorado, um, uniquely Colorado perspective. Seth, reflect on what you heard there. I'm going to be really obnoxious here and mention my book, Learning from Lost, <laughs> because it's about the narratives that people build after an election loss. And I was really kind of struck listening uh, to these voters because uh, none of us really know what has quite happened yet. We don't know who the winner and loser was. And that's that leaves us all in somewhat of a state of uncertainty. Um, and people are trying to impose a narrative about who won and where and why, and, and, and we don't quite have all that information yet to build those stories. But it was interesting hearing them uh, kind of reflecting on it and reflecting on the experience. I, I was also sort of struck by um, the uh, supporter of the president there, um, who was really not endorsing, you know, all of his his outbursts or his uh, his demeanor, but simply says, you know, she, she likes his policies and she's generally happy with the way things have gone. And um, you know, it just reminds me that, that for partisans, you can you can rationalize quite a bit, um, but people are generally going to stick with their party. And, uh, you know, because of the type of uh, people that incumbent will put in office, that put, who they'll put in a cabinet and what sort of policies they'll pursue. And, and the rest of it is just kind of noise. Sarah, are we oh, hyper partisan? Is that what's going on here? In Colorado, so I keep coming back to the Colorado perspective, and I don't think so. I We have 40% of voters in this state who have let go of their partisan attachments, right? Like that is a big deal. And I'm around young people every single day. I have 100 students. I'm teaching them all in person this semester. They're Gen Z and they're millennials. And they may support a candidate, but they have shed their partisan labels and they care about civility. They want people to be able to talk to each other. They absolutely were not impressed with that first debate. So I really heard what Russ was saying there. Um, and they're ideological, right? They're socially liberal and they're a little more economically conservative, but they want, they want there to be more compromise. They want there to be more bipartisanship. Thank you so Thank much. You so I know that you have a, a class to get to, a class to teach. I think it's a kind of mock Congress. That's Sarah Hegedorn, who's an assistant professor of political science at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And Seth Maskett, thank you. He heads the Center on American Politics at the University of Denver. We'll be right back with how soon Coloradans will benefit from paid family leave and the status of the many other ballot measures. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. For years, Lookout Mountain has been the place to see what's happening throughout the Front Range. 
Hi, I'm Daniel J. Schneider, editor of the Daily CPR newsletter, which takes its name and inspiration from that mountain. The Lookout. Each weekday, The Lookout gives you a closer look at issues that affect Colorado. Every edition highlights top stories, conversations, and other important news, as well as some fun and quirky stuff. Sign up to get The Lookout each weekday in your inbox at CPR.org. You're with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. We've talked a lot about candidates so far, but Coloradans also voted on a slew of important ballot measures. We know they decided to cut their income taxes, increase nicotine taxes, and create a massive new family leave program, among among other things. CPR's Megan Verlee has been tracking the results here. A late night, Megan, and now an early morning. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. What stood out to you in the results on these 11? Yeah, 11 measures that were on the ballot. Honestly, uh, what a yes mood Coloradans were in. Uh, Only one has clearly not passed and and one is too close to call. Uh, But they said yes to this just kind of big grab bag of stuff. Uh, There were things that I think you could consider a conservative victory, like that income tax cut, uh, and then big progressive victory with the passage of paid family leave. Uh, Another example that I thought was really interesting, Amendment 76, which restricts voting to only citizens. Mm. Uh, It was really cast as a kind of a conservative turnout driver by opponents uh, who said it it wouldn't have a lot of tangible effects. Well, that passed in a year uh, when voters were also feeling progressive in a lot of other ways. So um, it just, boy, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you make of all of that? Is, think, it, is it a message being sent or does, does some amount of confusion explain this? I, I think it's actually the opposite. I think you have a message when people really have a clear idea of what their vote like represents, which happens when you have candidates. You know, if you're voting for a Republican or a Democrat, you're sending a message about what that party stands for. Mm-hmm. But there isn't an R or a D behind an initiative. So people have to sit down and decide what they actually think about reintroducing wolves or whether abortion should be banned after 22 weeks. And and the results that you get are a lot more nuanced than I think politi- people's political views are often portrayed when they're sort of being represented as, as adhering to a party with a platform. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, When it comes to dividing voters, the measure to reintroduce wolves in western Colorado is turning out to be a nail biter. Still too close to call. Yes. uh, Fewer than 10,000 votes separate yes and no. Right now, the the yes side is up by that little bit. Um, Yeah, that was a really controversial one. that you know, people in rural Colorado, the the results show us feel very strongly that the state should not be stepping in and reintroducing wolves. It went down by big margins in uh, along the eastern plains, northwestern Colorado. Um, it pulled a lot of its yes votes from the the Denver Boulder uh, area, from Pitkin County, um, from around Durango. So, you know, Colorado has this ongoing narrative that there is can be a lot of distance between the rural areas and the urban areas in terms of political views and. And this measure in particular like, put a very fine point on that. You said earlier that Coloradans were in sort of a yes mood. What do you think made voters open to passing things like this? I have. I'm not sure, frankly. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go bug the public affairs team to go out and ask a lot of people that um, because there have been years where we've seen no mood, uh, uh, no mood. Uh, there have been years where we have seen people just kind of vote no down the ballot. Yeah. Um, 
I I don't know if this is how voters were thinking about it, but um, one thing that I I wonder about is that a lot of the complex policy questions, paid family leave, wolf reintroduction, um, and and some of the fiscal ones, they're law changes, and the state legislature can actually go in and uh, make those changes. So uh, make changes to those those laws. I mean, they could even just completely cancel them out, although that tends to be pretty unpopular if, if voters have approved it. So there's less of a risk in, say, creating a paid family leave program that way versus a couple of years ago, you saw that effort to create um, a, a universal health care program in the state. That was going to go into the state constitution. It right. would have been uh, very, very difficult to change. And so, you know, if voters are thinking on that level, there is that idea of like, hey, these are really interesting things to try if we run into the land of unintended consequences they are uh, amendable. You're listening to Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner, and our public affairs editor, Megan Verlee, joins us as we go through some of the ballot measures that you voted on and how things turned out. Um, I, I think of one of the more complicated issues on the ballot, the Gallagher repeal. Uh, Amendment B passed quite comfortably, Megan. Yeah, it did. Uh, And that was one that a lot of official Colorado was watching closely. Um, So just a little backstory here. Uh, Republicans and Democrats in the legislature got together to put this repeal on the ballot. Um, It pulls out of the state constitution an amendment that basically capped how much residential property has to contribute to the overall statewide property tax base. And its effect over the years has been to ratchet down the assessed rate on homes and other residential properties. Um, In cities, people don't really feel that so much because the the value of properties has been going up so much that, that your property taxes are still increasing. But in some rural parts of the state where home values don't increase that quickly, it's actually cut people's property taxes, which, hey, that's great if you're living in that house. Um, But the services those taxes pay for, fire districts, library districts, schools, um, have really taken a hit financially. so it, it, it's a complex financial thing. It, um, you know, it, it has the effect that people will not see their property taxes go down as much as they might otherwise, which voters uh, otherwise suggested that they, they're not too much in a mood to tax themselves by giving themselves an income tax cut. That's right. One thing opponents of the Gallagher rep- repeal really fought on was they felt that it got super favorable language, super favorable treatment in the, the ballot guide, and that... Um, they just felt like it it had a lot that made it easier for voters maybe not to to understand the full consequences of passing it. In just a few seconds, uh, I want to check in on one final measure, Prop 115, which would have banned abortions after 22 weeks. It failed. It did by a margin of about 18 percent uh, or 18 points. Uh, you know, Colorado, there have been a lot of different abortion measures on the ballots, uh, ballot over the years. Uh, the other ones have been much more draconian, uh, trying to outlaw abortion right at the beginning of fertilization. Backers of this one thought maybe they'd found a place where people in Colorado would be willing to accept a limit on this procedure. And voters clearly disagreed. Uh, they they were not willing to go for that. OK, I'm giving you five seconds for this, Megan Verley. Any huge shifts in the state legislature in terms of who controls the state house and state senate? No, actually, uh, Democrats are in control of both. It looks like maybe they have a slightly mar- better margin in the Senate, which uh, was much tighter before this election. But it's surprising how few of the competitive races actually went Democrats' ways. 
I can't wait to hear more about some of this in purplish. Thanks, Megan. Thank you, Ryan. CPR's public affairs editor, Megan Verlee. Let's zero in now on one of those ballot measures. Paid family and medical leave won strong approval from voters, as we heard. It'll provide Colorado workers 12 weeks off for a range of major life events. State Senator Faith Winter has tried to get this through the legislature for years. This time, supporters took it to the ballot box and won. And Senator, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Give me an example of someone you think really needs this coverage. Um, a lot of people think this is all about moms and babies, which it, which part of it is. So right now in Colorado, one out of four women go back to work just two weeks after giving birth. In the future, moms aren't going to have to make that heart-wrenching decision to leave their two-week-old newborn at home to make sure that they keep their paycheck. But most of the folks using this program are going to use it for their own self-care. And so that's a cancer patient who really needs to be mustering all their strength to go through chemotherapy and not worry about a job. And that's who's really going to benefit from this ballot initiative passing. The legislature resisted. The voters approved. What do you think put it over the top? This has always been an incredibly popular measure when you talk to constituents and you talk to voters. And sometimes we see that the lobby has an inordinate amount of power in the building. Uh, So in the Capitol building, a lot of um, business interests can hire lobbyists, but moms, women of color, low-income workers, they don't have a lobbyist to go and say, we need this benefit. And so when you give the decision to the voters directly, they overwhelmingly said, yes, this is something we want. Do you think the pandemic might have acquainted people with their own vulnerability and pushed this along? I think it showed the urgency for something like this. Um, We've been polling on this issue for years, and the polling didn't change because of the pandemic. It was always about 60 percent popularity. But what I do think happened is it showed the urgency because everyone realized that they immediately could need this, that it wasn't maybe if I get cancer, I need this. Instead, everyone is faced with, I might get COVID, I might have to quarantine. Um, And that's two weeks. And I, many Coloradans can't afford two weeks of quarantine without a paycheck. Uh, So I think it showed the urgency and that everyone at some point will need this. I don't want to say that you villainized the business lobby, but it it sounds a bit like you were frustrated with that lobby, that you think that uh, they perhaps blocked this in the legislature. And yet, of course, they bring their concerns. Uh, how are businesses trying to navigate the pandemic going to take on this additional responsibility? And, and let me say, I should say, just for clarity's sake, the, the fees, the premiums will be split between workers and the company. Go ahead. Yes. Um, and so when you look at the lobby, a lot of them are representing large corporations or large chambers of commerce. But actually, 118 had over 200 small businesses that supported the measure because it's the most affordable way to offer this benefit. And for small businesses competing for employees, they really want to offer this benefit. And when you're a small business working on the margins, having someone leave and just paying their salary is far more expensive 
than what this measure will cost, which is about, on average, $3.83 a week or $200 a year per employee. And that's far less than if you're just paying their salary while they're out. Um, so we, when we talk to individual businesses, when I would walk into an individual business and talk to a business owner and explain how this works, generally we got them on board. Um, and so we know that businesses are hurting right now, but this is a way to treat their employees well because no one wants to tell a cancer patient they have to come back after chemotherapy, but they also can't afford not to. Um, it allows them to compete for employees. It's certainty because they know how much it's going to cost. And this allows for recovery because we don't start collecting fees until 2023. That's right. And benefits start paying in 2024. I, I just want to say yes. smaller businesses, those with nine or fewer employees, wouldn't have to pay the employers half of the premium, right? That's true. Yeah. Uh, what does this tell you about where Colorado is right now? Just in a few seconds, do you think this says something broader about where people are? It shows that Colorado cares about workers and they care about the economy. And this is about their personal economy, which I think you saw that in many ballot initiatives. And for their personal economy of being able to have a life-changing event and not lose a job was important. Thank you so much, Senator. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Democrat Faith Witter represents several of Denver's northern suburbs, including Westminster, North Glen, and Thornton. We talked about the passage of Prop 118, paid family leave. The story of this election is by no means over, and we'll keep telling it on air and online at CPR.org. I'm Ryan Warner. This is CPR News.